0: This week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziad and Tim Minichi.
1: Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And Jay, we have a couple new patrons joining us at Patreon. Mr. Josh Page joining us, doing the one-time payment. That's the option now, folks. You could pay by the month, or you could just do the big lump sum payment. Either way, we get taxed either way. And then uh, Scott Mobier or Mobier, sorry, Scott, I mispronounced your name because that is what I do. Uh, welcome, <laughs> Scott. <laughs> it's a badge of honor. And of course, uh, if I think Scott's already joined, but if you if you haven't, uh, Josh, and if you haven't uh, out there that are Patreon listeners. Um, you can join us over at Discord, where the chatter happens every day, all day, about everything related to music, and also unrelated to music sometimes, uh, like when I posted pictures of Meadow Soprano's bedroom from The Sopranos today, because she had Gaunt and and Girls Against Boys posters in her bedroom in nineteen, what was it, nineteen ninety eight? Wow. <laughs> Yeah, you, a gaunt poster. There was a gaunt poster, a Girls Against Boys, and a Lisa Loeb poster huh. in her bedroom. And that gaunt poster is, is the thing of legend in the Columbus music community. Nobody knows why there's a gaunt poster in Meadow Sopranos' bedroom. Yeah. And it's for the album we reviewed, Bricks and yep. Blackouts from season number one.
2: Yep, I'm looking at it.
1: Yep. Yeah, and behind, in the picture behind Michael Imperioli, you can see just a little bit of the. Lisa Loeb. Uh, Lisa Loeb poster. Yeah, there's also some other posters there, but I, I don't recognize the. Uh, yeah, artists. I don't either. They might just be made up uh, things. So, and I, I, there, I, there's other music that is relevant in this show. Of course, famously, Sean Smith wrote a song uh, that was used. Uh, Sean Smith of Brad and Satchel was used to song had a song that was used from one of his solo records uh, on *Sopranos*. But this is not the Sopranos cast uh, yet, not yet.
2: So, is there a Sopranos music cast?
1: <laughs> this it's week a- we'll be covering Meadow Soprano's bedroom <laughs> with special guest Michael Imperioli. I think we've hit the end of
2: podcasts when that when that one pops yeah, up. Yeah, that
1: one. That one is. That's when you've scraped <laughs> the bottom. Um, joining us is one of our patrons. You might remember him from such episodes as...
0: <laughs> this, is, this is Greta? That's the only one. Uh, the by Greta. Greta. Yeah. This
1: is Greta. John Seaman, welcome back to the show. This is Greta was the previous episode. I ended up, I got that CD afterwards. It is now in the Dig Me Out vault. Nice. So. Is one of about 300 CDs I have in the Dig Me Out vault. I'm still trying to collect all of them so that I can pass them along to uh, my daughter and Jay's daughter when we retire. They inherit the Dig Me Out vault and they well, take over the podcast.
2: I have the second Greta CD, so to, they'll have to get together to have the full catalog. There you go.
0: They only have two.
1: That's uh, what I'm saying. That's, yeah. When did the second one come out? Is it in the 2000s?
0: That is the second one. The first one was like oh. ninety three, and the second one was ninety five. Oh, okay.
1: So yeah. we could. Our goal now is not only to review every band that existed in the nineties, but also to clear the catalogs. <laughs> so, like we've done with PAW, and like we've done with, um, what was there was another one. We've we've cleared the catalogs where we 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 hit we wipe out the whole discog- discography for a band. Yeah and we put the stamp of discography cleared. We've taken care of it. And uh, so maybe we'll get to that next, uh, the first Greta record.
0: I'll, um, I'll do the first Greta. Um, I think you're, you might also do the full 90s Sponge, because uh, you're gonna do the first one.
1: That's true. Right?
0: Um, one of my suggestions for this episode was the third Sponge, and that would be the final 90s era Sponge album.
1: That's right. Once I knew that we were going to be, you know, so we'd already done sponge and you gave me a couple of suggestions yeah, and they were all good. And I was like, hmm, Um, but this is the one that I knew least about. So I was the most interested in it. Very cool. Um, And also knowing that we were going to have two sponge episodes in the, in the hopper or, you know, in the, in the archives by this point, I was like, I don't need to do three sponge episodes. I mean, (laughs) we got to,
2: we got to pace those out.
1: (laughs) Even, uh. Even Vinny from Sponge doesn't want to listen to the first three <laughs> records that much, so...
0: Those if first three done... are the good ones. That's when they had um, those two great guitar players. Yeah. Uh, Joey Mazzola and and the other guy, whatever his name is.
1: Yeah. Yeah, now it's the, uh, the Paddlin brothers are in the band. Tim yeah. Paddlin and Andy Padlin, who were the producer and engineer on the first record.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they've been around for a while. Like, they're always in that camp, I guess.
1: Yeah, and I believe uh, Tim Paddlin... To bring back to Columbus, I also, he uh, has worked with Watershed on some records. Yeah. Is that the, last, the guy
2: that was uh, the ba- one of them, the
1: bass player in the Fags? He might have been.
2: Huh. Okay. super. He was a super talented guy.
1: Yeah. Did a lot of stuff. So let's get to our record for this episode. John, without further ado, share the record that we will be doing and why you picked it.
0: All right, so this is, this is one of my favorites. Um, it's Jimmy's Chicken Shack pushing the salmonella envelope. Um, I, I, I have a suspicion I'm, I'm going to get my feelings hurt this episode. I, I, was, I was checking the comments um, on what people were saying about it. I was like, oh, man. Um, but the reason I picked it, it, I don't know, it's just a weird album. Like, the guitar riffs are strange. The lyrics, you know, it's it's not, like, stereotypical lyrics. Like, you listen to a Godsmack song, and it's all about, like, get away from me, go away, and I'm sad, and all this stuff. These lyrics, there's a little more substance to it. Um, that's why I picked it.
1: Let's do a little history so folks are familiar with this band. Uh, they're from Annapolis, Maryland, formed in 19... 19- 92 and um this is their first i believe major label record it was released Correct. on the polydor um or island it was released on island records and they were self released i believe um or not i don't
0: Maybe know if we we it was self released
1: or was it was it jimmy or jimmy hahas label
0: uh, Foul Records. Well, that's that's kind of the the confusing thing. Um, he had Foul Records. Uh, he might have released the the first two. This one, um, well, it, it might have come out on Polydor, but it's actually Rocket Records, which was Elton John's label.
1: That's so, right.
0: Yeah, Elton John, I guess heard heard the band and was like, "Yeah, let's put this out."
1: Yeah, so they released two cassettes and a CD prior to this. 93 was Chicken Scratch. 94 was Spit Burger Lottery. And then those were the cassettes. And then 95 was the CD, Giving Something Back. And this came out in 97. Um, All but three of the songs were on those previous releases. I believe they were re-recorded for this so that everything is unified. But... um, I think the only tracks that are new are "Dropping Anchor," "Spiderweb," and "This Is Not Hell." Everything else was, I believe, on a previous release, one of those three releases. So this is sort of a compilation, to you know, for their major label debut in terms of um, putting putting music out there. And then they would release, following this, uh, in 1999, also on Rocket Record Company on the Rocket Record Company bring your own stereo then they would move to good old uh is it coach cock coke what's that record <laughs> coke records coach
0: coke. coach uh, Koch?
1: They... welcome back Kocher. i,
2: uh, I can <laughs> whatever it is it's
1: not cock <laughs> okay it's not cock records um <laughs> uh, the very the very diverse um and and long <laughs> lasting. Going back to the seventies, I don't know if people know that.
2: I didn't. I didn't know that. I thought that was a nineties label.
1: No, they started in in the seventies doing what looks like, um, like world music. Huh. And um, I I think there's been, I think they had like multiple offices in like U S and Europe. So I think they start, must've started in Europe. And then by, um, at some point they got involved in a lot of U S artists because, and, and I mean, they were still going into the two thousands with a lot of um, hip hop and metal. But like there's a release by like DJ Khalid on there from the two thousands. I mean, that doesn't get any bigger than that so <laughs> so and then yeah. that so that was their 2004 record and then they were back on foul records for the 2008 album fail on Q. and that is the last of jimmy's chicken shack uh mr haha ha, i don't know what he's done outside of that in terms of i know he's done some
0: i can fill you in. oh
1: yes please
0: So, um, he also has another band called the Jar Flies, which one of my favorite guitar players ever is in that band, Brian Ewald. Um, That's an Annapolis area band. And the interesting thing about that band is some songs started off as Jimmy's Chicken Shack songs and then went over to the Jar Flies songs, which I would consider Jimmy's Chicken Shack a little more fun and playful. Jar Flies a bit more serious. And then I think it was 2016, uh, Jimmy released a a solo album, but it was under the name um, Men the Hollow. It wasn't under the name Jimmy Ha Ha.
1: Gotcha. So, Jay, were you familiar? Had you heard this band prior to checking it out for the episode?
2: Yeah, I remember I I couldn't you know, think of a particular song, but I remember the band, I obviously remember the name. Um, I associate them with, uh, the late nineties, what became, I, I guess what I would describe as what became new metal, but I would, they're not metal sort of the, the bands that preceded that, that weren't that heavy, but there were some similarities. Um, so I kind of associate them in that batch of late nineties
1: bands. Gotcha. Um, I had I had heard the name. I thought this was a completely different band. Like I thought this was going to be in the realm of like Southern culture on the Skids.
0: Oh, okay. Are you the band Chicken Shack?
1: Maybe. Maybe that's the problem. I got it mixed up. I didn't mention it, but um, the personnel. There's been a number of people through the band. Uh, As mentioned, is Jimmy HaHa on guitar and vocals. Jim McD on guitar, Jim Cheney on drums and percussion, and Che Lemon on bass. Yeah. So three guys named Jim.
0: Yeah. The um, come,
1: come on fourth guy, just change your name to Jim. <laughs> exactly. Um,
0: the story behind uh, why they named it Jimmy's Chicken Shack is apparently Jimmy's Chicken Shack was a name of a restaurant in I think Harlem where Malcolm X used to hang out. Um, I think Jimmy was reading Malcolm X's biography and I think picked that name. I think that's the story.
1: Gotcha. So this was produced by Stephen Hagler, um, who runs a studio or at least up until the 2017s, um, called Voodoo Studios in Port Jefferson, New York. He's worked with a lot of interesting artists, um, relevant to our podcast to be quicksand, clutch uh for love not lisa local h fuel my head sam i am karma to burn stanford prison experiment Mm -hmm. oleander the X's, the nixons skid row brand new hopes fall (laughs) okay does that sound good to you no i'm just kidding it sounds like Uh, half the
2: bands we've reviewed
1: yeah, there's some other ones here. As tall as lions. Why does that sound familiar? I don't know why. Must have listened to them on MySpace at some point in the 2000s because they had something out in the 2000s.
2: Your real it. player.
1: That's my, my real player. Uh, yeah, my win amp with its special skin. <laughs> uh, let's get into the comments over at Patreon. We'll talk about the um, the poll when we get to our ratings at the end of the episode, but. Some of the comments, Willie Dylan said, thank you, John S for picking this. I actually suggested it for the hopper. So I'm glad now it doesn't have to get picked through a poll. I know this album won't be to some people's taste, and it's certainly not perfect, but I love it. The heaviness, the funkiness, the excellent musicianship, fun, funny, clever lyrics, great productions. It's a fun album with lots of character and, a, and great to listen to loud. Angel V. Jones said, I grew up in Maryland and wow, what a flashback. Definitely remember hearing promos on the radio for Jimmy's Chicken Shack on ninety nine point one HFS when they were performing at various DMV venues. Uh, is, does that mean Department of Motor Vehicles, or is that some other DMV abbreviation? I'm curious about that. Uh, they weren't my scene, but interesting to revisit.
0: Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, probably.
1: Okay, not the de- Department of Motor Vehicles. That would make that <laughs> makes more sense. <laughs> I think only Ohio calls it a DMV also. I think it's the BMV here. It's the Bureau oh, of Motor Vehicles. In New York it's the DMV, I think. Okay. Where I where I grew up, but I don't think I don't think it's the I don't know. Well, I think they need to they need to pick one and go go with it across the nation. It's too confusing, BMV <laughs> and DMV. What if it's the OMV, Office of Motor Vehicles? Come on, people. Kyle That's Bittner Canada. said, yeah exactly. Kyle Bittner said, interesting album. The whole time I was listening to it, I was trying to pinpoint who it sounded like. In the end, I determined the album sounds just like the 90s. Aw. <laughs> Musically, it has that sludge funk metal sound of 93, 94, the metal rap vocals of multiple bands from the mid-90s, and the quirky lyrics of that 90 band, 90s bands were known for, not to mention the cover art. Some of the funk and vocals were a little too close to sublime territory for my liking. Overall, it was a fun listen, but not one I'd listen to regularly better EP. Buzz Hughes said, I find it hard to even take this band seriously with that name. The title doesn't help either. Patrick Testa said, Chevelle is to tool what Jimmy's che- Jimmy's chicken check is to rage against the machine. I'm going to have to think about that one for a minute. And have you ever realized that if you eat an after dinner mint and then have another one, you've just Eaten and after after dinner mint mint good luck broadcasting without pre-reading it tim i just did (laughs) boom nice is that all you got patrick testa is that yeah come on challenge me throw a last name in there and you'll
2: you'll have him stumped
1: right exactly preferably eastern european um gavin Said, so in the interest of being positive, I'll we'll go for an EP of blood. This is not hell, milk, and when you die, you're dead. With that said, I doubt I'd listen to that EP only because I don't know when I would choose it over a thing else, but it's okay. I think you meant anything else. Lyr- lyrically, it's a bit like he's looking out the window and just singing what he sees. I feel I owned this, though. <laughs> so he, he he actually purchased it at some point. Darren Lehman, this is an interesting album. You can definitely say that about it. I hear shades of Living Color, Rage Against the Machine, Sublime. There are elements of alt rock, funk metal, and a shiny, glossier version of new metal in certain instances. It is an up and down album, and it seems to lack theme, thematic cohesion. But it has a fun and interesting. But it has fun and interesting parts. I truly do not know what to expect next from track to track. The first time I heard it. You cannot say that a lot about, about a lot of albums, but it's definitely a better EP than a worthy album. Carl F., I always group them with Local H in my head, maybe because of the producer. But at least for this album, they're much more like Incubus or 311. First time we're hearing the 311 numbers. If this was the middle of summer, my opinion would be higher of this. I Okay. But I go decent single with high... Excuse me. High on the A side and dropping anchor on the flip side, I'd put those on a playlist and not miss the rest. Guillermo Moran, I like JCS, but they they have put out some good music and they don't take themselves too seriously. This album could be trimmed down to a really fun EP. And Richard Waterman says, really like this album. It's just a good, solid, and fun listen. The production on the record is excellent. It sounds big and modern without being too polished. Willie is right when he says, listen loud. The producer, Stephen Hagler, has worked with Quicksand, Sam, I Am, Fuel, Karma, to Mirror and Oklahoma, all the ones I mentioned. This guy obviously knows how to make a good rock record-worthy album. And there you have it. That's our Patreon community speaking on this record. Let's speak on this record, Jay. Tell me one thing you liked about Pushing the Salmonella Envelope by Jimmy's Chicken Shack.
2: What really caught my ear initially was
1: uh,
2: the guitar playing. So first song, you know, it it starts off with a little clean guitar intro, but then it shifts to this really interesting, like octave lead that has kind of a, I don't even know what it sounds like. Um, So right away, you're throwing this little curveball. Like, oh, okay, this sounds like maybe acoustic Alice in Chains and then they go to that lead and you're like, whoa, that is really unusual and different. Kind of thing keeps happening um throughout the record so outhouse is another example um you know that intro part really cool acoustic part and then they layer over these other guitars that are very unusual like it, it sort it totally changes the whole character of what you think the song is going to be um so there's just a, a really um sophisticated i don't know if it's key, keys they write in or what but you know every song has some guitar riff or section or lead that is using something and going to either a sound or usually a melody or some kind of collection of notes that are just not what you would expect it at times reminds me of when it's familiar, it will remind me of uh let's say I'm not a corn fan, but like I've always thought it was interesting how they kind of like um they put these overtones over their music with the lead guitar. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the riffs and just that band in general, but they do have this really unique way of like laying these very strange kind of overtones over top of things. So there's elements like that going on here too, where there's a second guitar coming in that just kind of changes the shape um, of things. Um, They go into some other genres. I think that was mentioned in the comments, you hear a little bit of funk here and there. You also hear what I, what I say is either reggae or ska, but it's done in a way that's, again, uh, at least from a guitar standpoint, pretty fresh. Like it doesn't, even though rhythmically it might sound like reggae, but there's something about the way the guitars are approached that it sounds very original and, and, and fresh in the way that they're interpreting it. So I, even, I appreciate the, those little left and right turns into different genres. You know, and things can even get a little bit I guess angular. So uh, a song like uh, When You Die, You're Dead. You know, that riff to me kind of sounds like No Knife, <laughs> um, which is a band I wouldn't have thought I would have brought up on this. But, you know, after listening to it several times, it, it finally started to hit me what, why that, who that sounded like. they're known for what they tune to tune way up or something they do some crazy thing with their guitars to make them They tune up
1: half a step instead of tuning down half yeah
2: so there's definitely some really clever competent progressive stuff going on with the guitars on this record that you know often pull it into i think an, an area that that is that is remarkable uh i also think the you know vocally i like it in that you know he's he's kind of down to middle singer but he's able to do everything from you know deliver things that almost sound rappy to things that are aggressive to you know kind of get out of the way you know there's even some vocal stuff here where you know they'll do two voices and one's kind of pulled back and out of the out of the middle of the mix so you can focus on, on the guitar um, and then they'll, you know, bounce another voice in on the, you know, uh, either one side or the other. So he's able to, I think, cover a lot of ground vocally too. And he doesn't get, and when I say it's a good thing, it's the middle of the ground, like he doesn't get too far into sounding like any kind of stereotypical 90s singer. I think if he, some of these songs, you know, you definitely hear an influence of Tool or Alice in Chains or Primus or a lot of other bands musically, at least for Bits. And if he sang like any of those other bands or approached anything close to any of those bands, then I think it would be a huge failure. But because he doesn't, he kind of stays down the middle. Um, I think he tries his best to just deliver what the melody is and the lyric and, you know, his voice is neutral enough that it doesn't get in the way, but it kind of accents um, to kind of pull the song together. So in that way, I think it works, too. I, I could see a different singer over these same songs being a way different experience for me. Um, so I'm, I'm giving him credit for, for kind of, you know, staying out of the way um, to some degree and, and letting the music do a lot of the work. Um, the production's great i mean this, this record sounds fantastic it does sound great live or loud um it does have kind of a live feel and it doesn't sound overproduced but it's very punchy clean it's not over compressed like everything you want out of a rock record uh, this record has from a production standpoint um, i don't think there's anything particularly 90s about it from a production standpoint we'll get into maybe some of the some of the parts and the the other performance aspects of it maybe that have some nineties feel to it, but just from a straight production standpoint, it's, it's just a good
1: classic sounding,
2: you know, loud rock record. How about you, Tim?
1: Well, I think the one band, what was weird in the comments hearing all the comparisons, Um, I definitely got some living color vibes um, from it, but you know, the record that we did last year that I started going oh man I can hear some of this was that extreme record waiting for the punchline. oh really and like hearing some of the riffs Mm. knowing that Nuno Betancourt can play anything and, and incorporate progressive um and do and and he's his solo work is incredible and and hearing what um the two guitars are doing here with regards to playing on you know they're not playing in a lot of very basic scales. I think they might even be doing some, there might be some odd tuning on some of these songs. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I would think. No.
0: Nope. No, it's, not. it's, it's all it's standard. Not? Or I think there's maybe one song that's dropped D and that's Outhouse. That's it. Wow. Okay.
1: Well, then they're definitely messing around with some like non traditional scales in terms of what they are f- playing and then what he's able to do with the vocals on top of it. I think is what makes it the most interesting is that he's able to. F- sort of weave these melodies that like you said, Jay have elements of some nineties stuff, but because his vocal is, it's not, you know, doing a Lane Staley impersonation. It's not doing a, there, there there's some parts where it's, it's very original and he's got a really strong vocal, like you said, down the middle that, can carry some some odd melodies and, and notes that i that almost like they have like an eastern feel to some of them yeah and um but without being blatant like he's not. this isn't cashmere or anything like yeah that. yeah it's just like little interesting touches where you can tell you know i don't know if they're if it's I don't have my wife's on vacation, so I can't ask her any technical questions. She would be able to say, "Oh, that's a minor fifth or something like that." <laughs> right. But yeah, I, right. I lose that when she's gone. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I but can't I, cheat. It's not like I know what I'm. As talking a listener,
2: about. It's, as a listener, it's just it's it's notable in that it just sounds different.
1: Right. You, know, you can hear just, the difference.
2: Yeah. They hit a note, and you're like, "Well, that's not the note I expected to hear." My, my ears expected
1: something else. That's that's interesting. Okay, what's going on here? And when I yeah. heard the people talking about it in terms of new metal and and some reviews, I actually found a Washington Post review from when this record came out. Um, I didn't, I don't get the new metal as much because I'm thinking of new metal as as corn, as these big drop C, you know, really chuggy, um, a, a a very angsty aggressive vocals and the fred durst corn that kind of stuff that to me is like the the epitome of of that new metal sound and this to me has a has a much closer vibe and it and i think it's because this is a band that was not new i mean they had three albums under the belt at this point they'd be able to fine-tune these songs and and really hone in on what they were that you there's a much more like like tool and and a progressive sound um the funk metal sound of of the sev- of the of the late 80s early 90s with faith no more and 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 um living color and and those bands i heard some big ass truck in here on some of this stuff which i know you hate big ass truck j but uh, <laughs> you know i there was just in terms of incorporating um a little more groove into the into the rhythm then it's it felt like the the new metal bands were getting their rhythm sense from more from the hip hop end than from like a funk end. Whereas this, this has a, a, a bottom end that I'm much more in line with, uh, in terms of where the, where the hits are, the accents and and whatnot. It just like, it it's, it's a much more head nodding yeah. experience than a, than a, you know, moshing experience. I'm sure people yeah. mosh to this, but um so what works best for you on this record, John?
0: So some of the things that um Jay said I have in my my notes. Um for example, like like I said before the guitars, some it's just the the riffs are just weird. And like we we're talking uh before recording, I feel like they're a lot they're like pattern based where they they don't really fit in maybe like a key, like, this is not hell. Like, that's just that intro riff. It's just really weird. Even like Jay was saying with the, the first song on the album, Dropping Anchor, where you have that, that picked guitar part and then it comes in and you get that, that intro lead. And like it's just an odd it's an odd phrasing for a guitar solo. Like I I have the guitar tabs for that in a magazine. I still don't know how to play it. It just it doesn't make sense to me, I guess, as mm-hmm. a guitar player. Um
1: well, and it's, and it's on like spider web too which yeah. to me had a had a very like that could be king crimson <laughs> you know what i mean yeah i heard a little primus in there too or or that could be freaking yeah. depending on how what guitar tone it is it could be genesis like 70s genesis
0: so what, one of the things about the other bands that they've been compared to um are like th- this band is endorsed by paul reed smith so that's I, I feel like that's kind of where you get those fat guitar tones. So, like, uh, the dude in Incubus is a, was a Paul Reed Smith guy back yep. in the day. Primus, uh, that dude. Uh, Larry Lamont, he, he was a Paul Reed Smith guy, I believe. Yep. Um, Rage Against the Machine. That comparison, I feel like that's, that might be more of, like, a, a key like the, the key that they're playing in. So I did notice that Rage Against the Machine tends to, well, off that first album, they have a number of riffs in F sharp minor. You take a song like Milk, that's in F sharp minor. Mm. Um, and the intro to that, it sounds like a Fistful of Steel. Uh, there's another riff that, that sounds kind of similar to another Rage Against the Machine song.
1: Things we do well, I don't know. We'll go all the way down to Mexico. Join up with the circus.
0: as far as like rapping there's there's only one song with a rap in it and that's a guest yeah that's not even jimmy that's some dude named h1 (laughs) um yeah so some of my other notes like the guitar tones i love the fat tones in like blood or another day just like really juicy guitar tone like nice and fat um the lyrics I, i think they're unique i don't think you know, he's just looking out the window, making shit up, you know, like that one dude said, like, <laughs> so for like, like example, um, what, uh, that song is about the, the lead guitar player, Jim McD. He run, wanted to write a song about vampires and, and Jimmy haha was like vampires. Are you fucking kidding me? So he did it anyway. And he was thinking like in the nineties, What's gonna happen if you're a vampire and you're sucking blood? Well, you're gonna be fucked. Cause, you know, AIDS. Yeah. So I mean, to me, that's that's a really interesting concept. So a song like Outhouse, that's like um that's about like an environmental dystopia. Uh fires starting. Uh, I wish I could play outside, but soon the sun will rise. Fires starting every day, toxic tides wash over everything here. Um Songs like that are just interesting. And, and then you have something like, um, when you die, you're dead. So a lot of those lyrics are just like famous phrases. And then Jimmy added his own stuff to make it a song. But like some of that stuff is just, uh, just very clever, I think, the, the, the lyrics, um, the rhythm section, Um, I like the the slap bass. I like how it locks in with the drums. Um, I think that drummer's phenomenal. Um, I think on this album, they did a really good job of where the band will just drop out and then they'll highlight one one instrument. So, for example, like, um, in This Is Not Hell, like, when it kicks in and it's like... band drops out and it's like that's cool as hell to me man or like in milk where the band drops out and it's just like snare like stuff like that um i I just think the songs are just really well thought out for this album
2: yeah there's definitely a um a very strong understanding of dynamics and yeah accents and there's tons of little licks and riffs and space and yeah, they're definitely crafting these. These don't feel like they were just thrown together. There's no doubt about that.
1: Yeah. You could hear that. Like you mentioned in, in this is not hell. Those little pauses, like that's something that you work on. You know, it happens over and over again, playing the song and then you keep sort of like dissecting it and and figuring out little things you can do that it may not have happened on the first time, but by the, you know, 50th time you've practiced it and you played it. And even if you've recorded it once or twice, you go, Oh, okay. That's, I think we could do this little thing here. Or, you know, there's like one spot where I don't remember if it's in, maybe it's an outhouse or high one of those. No, I'm sorry. It's in spider web. I just checked where you know that song is sort of like this mid-tempo sort of stomp and it's just like chugging along and then all of a sudden there's a pause and there's just like one bass note that gets hit yeah i assume it's from a slap Um, uh, normally i would not care for that because i don't i'm not a big slap bass fan but like in the context of what they're doing i'm like that kind of like gives me a chuckle like okay Like, I I like that they threw that in there because the bass is almost never highlighted (laughs) in bands. And uh, the fact that you give it a give it a pause and let it shine there for a sec is is fine by me. Um, And I don't you know, there are some egregious slap bass bands from the 90s that we have covered and that I cannot take. Um, But I don't feel like this goes overboard, like everything sort of serves the songs which is what's most important, so I don't have a big issue with how much or how you know even the tone is is not it's not like the first tone I would pick for a bass, but it works within the context of the band. so
0: One um <laughs> so um I went back and I, I could have probably done this review without listening to the album, uh, just because I've heard it so many times you know over the past. 24 years now. Um, but I was reading the liner notes um, and there's keyboard in This Is Not Hell and I never noticed it, I think, until this past weekend. Uh, when the song kicks in, I think it's just something like bing, 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 bing. Like, yep. never noticed it before.
2: There's some synth somewhere later in that that pokes through. I don't know if it's the same same keyboard part or not, but yeah, there was definitely something it it blends in with the guitar but there are a couple moments where it, i definitely picked up
1: on it and thought the hell's a keyboard doing on this record
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: right so jay what doesn't work for you on this album
2: well for me i think it comes down to the choruses are not always super strong but like from a hook melody standpoint i find the verses usually stronger but I think what doesn't really doesn't work in that for me is a lot of times it uses what I find to be like like those prototypical riffs that you in like new metal. So like even though I don't think this sounds like a new metal band, I think like the the way the riffs are in the chorus to me are a very '90s specific thing that started, and maybe they were one of the first bands that started. But it's that limp Bizkit, nookie. Thing like the don don down the don don down. You know, it's like those rhythms are typically what they use as their riff, like either two two chord or three chord, like chug release, chug release, chug release kind of things, and then the singer like sings in the middle of those spaces. So once I started to pick up on that, and I started hearing it like in a lot of the songs, then I started to, and I don't think this is a band that you should. Probably should not critique this much, because I will at the same time admit, yes, when I noticed it and paid attention to it, it started to bother me. But then when I listened to the record passively, like while I was working, I was nodding my head, like you said earlier, Tim. Like it's kind of a, you know what I mean? Like you just physically get into that. So, you know, I'm a little conflicted there. I, I, I think I, I would probably be way more. Excited about the record if the choruses were as creative as a lot of the verses are, and even some of the bridges are just trying different things and not locking into that, you know, very familiar now. Familiar at the time, I, I suppose it was, you know, pretty original because they're doing this in '97. Um, but now it sounds like to me one of the night typical '90s sounds, the same thing as I think a couple of reviews ago where it was like we were reviewing a record and they just did a lot of like the um palm muting, you know, the putting the extra muted strums into the, to the riff, you know, and that just became a very, I mean, starting with Smells Like Teen Spirit, like that's what that whole riff is based on. So that like throughout the 90s, you just heard that all the time. You never heard it before then. Um, I think these style riffs in the chorus to me are very, you know, late 90s um kind of sound that eventually goes on to, really define what new metal was and to me. You, you tune these down and you add a ton of more distortion and it's basically the same concept from a at least chorus standpoint. Uh, some of the lyrics are, you know, a little odd um so like milk is an interesting song it pulls me in but then when the vocal comes in and he says milk them chickens and pluck them cows we're the ones they're gonna fuck you now i'm like okay i'm i i, I think i'm out like <laughs> just push push back from the desk i'm like I, I don't know where where we're going with this one but uh, i think i'm just gonna have to skip ahead Um, and the only other thing was i i, I thought drummer's excellent not a ton of complaints I didn't love when they get into the reggae feel or the Scott feel. So Another Day is a good example. Um, he brings in these accent progression drums of some kind that to me then like go over the line. They go from like, oh, this has got a reggae feel to like, oh, now you're playing like a reggae drum kit. Like we don't need the reggae drum kit. Just get me the feel and like do something with that. So there, there, there's some moments like that where you know just kinda, it just kind of it it goes just a little too far outside of i think what what works it goes, in terms of their interpretation of these things um but that's some of the stuff um that didn't work for me what about you tim
1: well i, I think the problem that i have with the lyrics was just i, I don't mind him being quirky because he doesn't cross over to like silly um i think the problem i have was uh he gets repetitive where he just yeah. re- just rams the same chorus like with high or dropping anchor it's just it's just yeah. a repetitive so it's the chorus is, is is based more around a repetition yeah. and a really strong melody um i hear what you're saying with dropping anchor like that that the two big you know you know whether you what if you play like uh two big low chords and, and then you raise it up for the and you let one record. ring out. And then there's like one, and it like gives you that like pause. Um, and um, I I didn't really have a problem with the content of his lyrics as much as, you know, I'd rather him take some chances than be generic. But just there were times where like he would the first verse would yeah. happen, there'd be a chorus, and the second verse would be the exact same as the first verse. And it's like, if you're going to do that, well, then give me like a counter melody or give me something going on that's just a little bit different it doesn't happen in every song but there were a couple songs where just felt there's, like there was too much repetition happening
2: yeah on um dropping anchor there's also the like he rhymes do with do <laughs> it's like come on how about let's go to two or you or <laughs> few new there there's some stuff like that made some stew uh, a little lazy you know in the in that department i, I agree with you high like that riff I recognized right away. I was like, okay, I know this riff. This was on the radio.
1: Yeah, that was the single.
2: And then when they get to the chorus, though, I'm like, okay, we're not going anywhere else. This is it. We're just going to say hi over and over again over top of the riff. Um, so I, I hear you on that.
1: Yeah, I just, uh, I I think I would have liked, like you said, I think sometimes the chorus, chorus is the weaker end of it and the and the verses are what give you more melody um which uh you know uh, i think that sometimes you get locked into like i feel like sometimes you get locked into a riff you end up emulating the riff vocally and not breaking out of it yeah especially when you're the you're playing the guitar because then you have to like sort of match your vocal cadence with where the guitar changes are so it makes it a little more difficult which is why I like taking it back to the extreme comparison you know gary shona doesn't to have to worry about that he can just sing over the changes yeah. of the guitar and doesn't have to think about where he's changing his fret you know and matching that up to his vocal cadence um but i i, I definitely remembered a lot of the record after i listened to it a few times um i spent an extra i we we delayed this for a couple of days just because I was on vacation. I didn't get to listen to it as much as I wanted to, but also because um you know, I listened to it on a plane and then I, I went and got a shot. So I listened to it in the car and I was like, I need a good headphone listen with this record. I listened to it in a loud plane and then in a car driving like I need to get down into the nitty-gritty a little bit with this record which I didn't get a chance to. And then oh. you can you can hear some of the like more specific stuff that's happening especially with the production like you mentioned is really good. Um John is there anything that doesn't work for you on this record?
0: Oh man, it's just a fantastic, you know, 10 out of 10. Straight shooter all the way. <laughs> <laughs> um I I realize like I'm I'm really biased. Um for this record it I was trying to think of something I I didn't like. And really the only thing I could come up with was like, you you know, when I was learning to play guitar, I was learning to play guitar to this album. So I was learning a lot of these songs. And one of the things was like when the guitars get distorted, sometimes it's hard to hear every note that they're playing. Um, So that was a frustration point for me as a guitar player. And I guess as a listener, but other than that it like you know I, i'm i'm somewhat at a loss and i realize that i'm i'm really biased with this album
1: okay um so this came out in 97 and it did get some play and some exposure i mean i watched the video that was on MTV um i think what was interesting is like this is so ninety seven is like the in between year, right? Um, is this? I don't think new metal is quite blowing up just yet. I mean, it's like sort of still the the, the weird crossover era where some of the like. Well,
0: corn ultra- is out. Is, is, I think is just about to come out in ninety eight.
1: Right. What is it? The is follow the leader out, or is it the one before that?
0: I think follow the leader is ninety eight. So Korn had two before Follow the Leader. They had uh, Life is Peachy and Life is Peachy. Yeah. Because um, I feel like before. Follow the Leader.
1: Like to me, like when they I, I remember listening to them at college radio, but when Got the Life came out it, and Freak on the Leash, like those were the ba- those were the songs that like blew up. Yeah. Um, You know, nationally. And they started selling like, you know, hundreds of thousands of records per. But, you know, they were a successful band out the gate. I mean, they sold multi platinum for their first couple of records. But I feel like they were, it was almost in like that Metallica 80s thing where, yeah, they were selling records and people who knew who they were knew like were really big fans. But like they were still like kind of more like, not into the mainstream yet which is when like in around 98 99 is when the new metals seem to me to more explode um i could be wrong in that
0: i'd agree with that yeah
1: it's like the the mid 90s era is when it's like percolating and you know you're seeing kids with weird jinko shorts and or jinko jeans and and uh look like goths but they're not goths you're like (laughs) what's going on? And then uh, all of a sudden, and then Kid Rock makes a rock album and you're like, what? He's the kid from Detroit that makes the funny rap music. Um, so I think like this is like a weird, you know, if this came comes out a year later, they could have potentially been a much bigger song or a much bigger band. Um, I don't know what end up. I don't know how well Elton John's label supported them. It seems like such a weird signing
0: they they were definitely on one hundred twenty minutes quite a bit uh they right. even guessed it on there and there was there was a second single it was um i th- I think it was dropping anchor and there was a video for it, but I never saw it until years later during like the internet age right I didn't even watch it on the internet
1: um yeah, I feel like this was one of those bands that was always like. On the the bill, like third or fourth, on like a radio station, you know, multi band bill, you'd be like, "There's Candlebox, Three Eleven, uh, you know, then this and this, and then Jimmy's Chicken Shack," and you're like, "Oh, I wonder what they sound like." You know what I mean? Like they they were never like maybe they were in in the the DMV area, but like outside this, is they seem to have like a regional popularity. As opposed to as national in terms of the same level, which um, that doesn't really happen. Anymore. You're making me uh,
2: think we should be doing a roundtable on the um, the radio rock festivals in the '90s.
1: Yeah, because
2: <laughs> by the end, of, I, I feel like by the end of the decade, like they had kind of taken over and become, you know, a major way that bands marketed themselves and like toward... <laughs> just go around the whole summer plan radio rock festivals
0: so um interesting thing that um you mentioned like uh like new metal or should i stop talking nope <laughs> all right so interesting that um you know you guys mentioned new metal because there are those those stereotypical new metal flat five chords throughout this album so if you listen to like um I forget the name off the top of my head, but it's a flat five for it. And he's just moving it up and down the neck. Yep, All flat fives.
2: Yeah. That, that, that's what I think I was picking up on.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, funny, funny uh, tidbit, the, uh, the guitar player, the lead guitar player in Jimmy's Chicken Check now is also in Candlebox. What?
1: Yeah. Huh. Okay. It's all—they're all moving around. They just to join each other's bands, yeah. just like the '80s metal's band. <laughs> right. They all just kind of <laughs> rotate around. There's no metal sludge for that. For that, there will uh, soon us. be
2: a be a version of Spoon tour, or a Sponge touring without any original members.
1: You're right. Exactly. <laughs> Let's get to our overall ratings on this record we'll also talk about the ratings at patreon.com where we put up a poll for every episode people vote were the album better ep or decent single jay where do you land on pushing the salmonella envelope i'm landing at an ep
2: uh, i think the record starts strong i think the record ends strong the middle is problematic for me i hear a lot of I think lyrically it's it's not as strong. I hear more of the, you know, repetitive riff stuff in the choruses. A lot of these songs I noticed in the middle of the record, I, um, you know, my final note on some of these songs, so like Spiderweb, for example, is that like, I'm done with that riff after about two minutes and it's just keeps going and going and going and going. It's like, okay, it's, let's build on this guys. I know you have the talent to do more. So I, I think the, the middle of the record to me is uh, weaker with the exception of blood, I think is one of the best songs in the record. So my EP would be dropping anchor outhouse blood another day sitting with the dog. And when you die, you're dead.
1: Okay. I'm with you at an EP. Um, I would be dropping anchor outhouse. um, Blood, Sitting with the Dog, and When You Die, You're Dead. So, what is that, five, six songs? Um, it's like half the record. So I didn't find this to be overly long. There were just some songs that I didn't care for. It just, I, I agree with you. I think the middle of the record is a little weak. there so,
2: There's just, just some songs where you're like, okay, the, this riff doesn't, if this is all you're going to do, it doesn't warrant you know, a four-minute song or a three-and-a-half-minute song. You know, right. either like add something else, write a killer bridge, which some of these songs have pretty good bridges, but then they go back to that same riff that you're just,
1: you know, either shorten it up or find another way to break it up a little bit. I think I would add whole. I think that's a good little two minute song. Um, so six songs for me. John, I, I, I don't even need to ask, but I'm going <laughs> to ask. What do you What do you land?
0: Yeah, um, I, I, I'd be at, a, at an album. Um, probably the only song I would cut is maybe Milk. Um, but that's more because like I've been listening to that song for over 20 years. I've been seeing this band for over 20 years. I, I've just heard it too many times. Um, other than that, yeah. Um, whole album.
1: Well our patrons they went with better ep 50% of the votes went to better ep coming in second was worthy album with 29% and only 21% going with decent single so that's not bad most of the folks over 79% said worthy album or better ep that's uh that's a good uh turnout for jimmy's chicken shack um any idea what he is shoveling out of his uh, little pouch on the cover um they look like <laughs> i was wondering the same thing they're feathers. Are they, are they, they're feathers okay feathers.
0: um and the, I thought the they're second, caterpillars or no they're they're feathers and if you look throughout like the the booklet and all the art like there's the guys with feathers all around them. Um, there's the guitar player. He's delivering a package with feathers. Um, and the, the music video for Dropping Anchor kind of followed the, uh, the illustrations in this, I, if I'm remembering correctly. were like, they're delivering, like, this top secret envelope with feathers in it, you know.
2: That they pluck from the cow?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Possible.
1: I mean, they look like caterpillars. <laughs> they do look like caterpillars. I was like, is he selling illegal caterpillars? Is that is it like a dealer?
2: They're psychedelic.
1: psychedelic They're those ones that stuff? they touch
2: your skin and you trip oh, balls.
1: That makes sense. Okay. Well, John, thank you for bringing this record to us. I'm glad we got to talk about this band and this record. It's something we've. You know, we haven't really gotten into this sound. What it's sort of the the bridge into new metal. It's not quite there, but it's it's definitely heading in that direction. And I know that in terms of uh we've been we've been dancing around the new metal thing for a couple of years now. We keep threatening a new metal take round table. So that maybe that might happen this year. I don't know. I John play. brought us some uh, new metal foreplay. Yeah. It's a little teaser, it's a little uh Yeah, tickle your ass with a feather. (laughs) A chicken feather. A chicken feather. Oh, Thanks, John. Thanks for coming on. And thanks for being flexible with your schedule as well. Yeah, no Um, worries. If you would like to be like John, why don't you head on over to dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. That's where you can go to support the podcast vote in these polls, vote in our once a month album polls where we pick uh, nine records from our suggestion box, which is located at digmeoutpodcast.com. You can go there, suggest an album, it gets in the hopper and everybody votes on it. Democracy. Uh, It's also where uh, you can go and sign up for the Box newsletter, a newsletter delivered to your email inbox every weekend with new reviews of music that has just come out or movies or books relevant to 80s and 90s music and then also Apple Podcasts is where you go if you like the podcast and you want to leave some positive feedback so for Jay, I'm Tim we're out we'll be back next week with another episode Don't Dig Me Out
0: It's yeah. funny you oh. mentioned uh, can hold on one sec. Thin...
1: Oh, my, my dog is freaking out,
0: <laughs> Bowie. Bowie, my
2: one one mics are freaking out right now, too, because uh, my wife just got home. <laughs> Let's just get this all out of John, do you have a dog that
1: needs to bark? <laughs> no, okay,
0: no. nothing here. Just me. <laughs>